Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter, please, at Braden Gall. And I'm Adam Vingan, at Adam Vingan. Of course, you can follow him over at The Athletic, all of his great work over there. Make sure you pay for good journalism, chip in a few bucks, and get an Athletic subscription. It is fantastic. Um, on the show today, if you if you did pay, by the way, Adam, for a subscription to The Athletic, you probably filled out the Predators fan survey, which with which we discussed last week on the show. And in one of those questions, 62% of you said that you would be fine with a total teardown and rebuild, which I call BS on, if it meant you got a number one overall pick. So we thought today on the show that we would analyze what that would actually look like for this organization. What strategic decisions could this organization make in a total teardown scenario? What would that actually look like? We'll get to the pieces, some of the players, some of the decisions we would, we would you know, that have to be made if they're going to go down that path. Should they go down that path? We'll take a look at some of the other teams around the NHL and what they've done successfully, as it appears, <laughs> as as you could have the Rangers and um, Avalanche playing for the Stanley Cup championship after doing rebuilds, <laughs> right? Um, so we'll get into those two in particular and some of the bad ones as well. Um, and of course, what does it mean for David Poyle? We'll do all of that here on the show today. However, before we do that, the gold standard is in fact brought to you by who, Adam Bingen? It's brought to you by Jaspers. That is right. Maybe maybe act a little bit more excited to be talking about Jaspers since they're paying us to do that. Um, but I do know you're you're sort of you know you're emo hipster, so I understand you can't get too excited, even if you love going to Jaspers. Jaspers does, in fact, make me happy. It's a delicious, <laughs> it's a delicious restaurant. Not that I've tasted the restaurant, I've tasted the food in the restaurant. <laughs> You sound so exasperated when you, say, when you say it. This is what they're paying us for. Oh, go to Jasper's. It's a fine place to eat. No, the parking is free. It is actually truly spectacular. It is a The game room is incredible. People are talking about it all across the city. Uh, it's a great place to watch. Hate watch the Stanley Cup, as I've said for weeks now. You've got Nashville SC games. Uh, it is truly an, an outstanding venue over there on West End. So if you're coming into town for any particular reason and you don't want to pay for parking and you want great food, and you want to watch a game, and you want to play a little free air hockey, maybe some Papa Shot or some skee ball. Jasper's is your place, man. It is a great neighborhood hang, and uh, great for kids, great for after dinner, great for lunch, great for the great for a date night. It's it's pretty much capable of, of all things. Um, so go check out Jasper's uh, over on West End, our wonderful and amazing sponsors. We su- they support us, so you guys should support them. All right, Adam. Um, what what does a total teardown look like? For the Nashville Predators. That's what we're going to do today on the show. And it has to begin with one fact and one fact alone before anything else. Before we look at which teams have done this well, which teams have done it poorly, what moves should the Predators actually make? Should they go down this path? They cannot do this, in my opinion, without David Poyle stepping aside. Whether that's retirement, whether that's sliding over, as I've suggested on the show, as you've suggested in a column. I I just don't think you can say to the public, to the fans... We are entering a new phase of Predators hockey. We are going to tear the thing down and rebuild it all to the top, which they're not doing, by the way. We're just saying hypothetically. And if they do that, you sort of have to have a new person making all of those decisions. Is that is that correct in your opinion? Yeah, and I think the Boston Bruins are, are currently you know, going through this. Um, on Monday evening, uh, they announced uh, that they had fired their coach, Bruce Cassidy. And a lot of the discourse um, in in Boston 
on, among uh, the people that cover the team as well as the fans is, is actually quite similar to what we are experiencing here, that uh, Cassidy was the fall guy for poor drafting and roster constructions at the hands of GM Don Sweeney. And I think we've had that conversation plenty of times where we've given John Hines, you know, some leeway in, in, in how this team has performed since he's been here because of the decisions that David Poyle has made. Um, and to Sweeney's credit, he did acknowledge, unlike David Poyle, that the Bruins might have to undergo what he called a directional shift. <laughs> that's the a, new competitive rebuild. <laughs> that's the new competitive. That's the new competitive rebuild. Um, but the Bruins are in a tough spot because you know Charlie McAvoy and Brad Marchand are going to miss the beginning of next season because of surgeries they've undergone since their season ended. Uh, Patrice Bergeron is on the verge of retirement. Um, so I, I think to your point. You know, at least at least with Sweeney, he seems open to rebuilding. Now that's the question that Boston fans and media are asking. Is Don Sweeney the right person to oversee a rebuild, or is it time for yeah. somebody else to take over? And I think that's the conversation we're having here. I I, I don't think it's a conversation. Like Well, we're having I think the, I think the I, I think the conversation is is it the right time to do the rebuild? Because I think that's that's a far more interesting debate. The time, the time, the time to have undergone a rebuild, well, would have been during the fifty-six game 2020-2021 season. Um, you know, we could look back at, and we've talked about this a lot. We could look back at that team's second half and wonder if that ultimately doomed them to more mediocrity um, can i can i make a case for why this timing could actually work out quite well all right if they, if they wanted to do it i mean i think the one big glaring mistake was not trading philip forsberg I, because i think there's well, in no way the glaring shape. mistake was the glaring that, that 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 is certainly one of them you know one could argue that another glaring mistake or mistakes was or were not trading mikhail granland a couple of years ago um, they ultimately resigned him, uh, but not trading him, not trading Craig Smith. Um, well, now you're getting not I, trading I, I, okay, now, okay, okay. All right, you're going down a. Those are all at different times. Let's look at right now today. Why could this be the right time to do it? I think the only thing this this would be my argument if I'm going to say to because I don't necessarily agree that we should see a total teardown here. I clearly the Predators are not going to do that. Um, I also do not trust the current power structure to make the right decisions to re-sign Philip Forsberg and then that team be good enough to make a championship run. Could be wrong about that. Could totally be wrong about that. But here is the argument I would make why right now today is possibly better a time than any for them to do the teardown. Okay. And it, a lot of this will be based on UC Soros, to be honest with you. But also Matt Duchesne and Ryan Johansson have more value today than they've ever had. There's less years on their contract and more production on the ice. So they actually might be movable at this point. I would argue. Hold on. Hold on. Okay, I'm just, okay. I'm saying that I would, I agree on Duchesne. 
I'm less I let I agree less so on Johansson. I still think you would have a hard time finding someone to take right. Oh, yes, I, t- I totally agree. What my what my case is, is that today, like as of recording at 1130 a.m. on, you know, whatever today is. Yes, Wednesday, they have June more 8th. value today than they did at this time right. a year ago when they were left exposed in the expansion draft. Yet yes. that I understand. But I still think it would be incredibly difficult to trade specifically Ryan Johansson. I, I don't disagree with you. I don't think either. Do, we'll get to some of the pieces in particular, yeah, but yeah. The, the argument for why you would want to tear down today. And again, I'm not suggesting this is what I would do. Uh, at the same time, I also acknowledge that I don't trust, as I just mentioned, I don't trust the current administration to get this team to a Stanley Cup championship caliber level. Um, the only mistake, it, had they traded Philip Forsberg at the deadline and picked up bigger assets, in particular in this year's draft, let's say, or a major prospect for him, because you can't, there's no way you can do the teardown and resign him. That that's not a that's not a thing that exists. You have to let him walk right now, which means you get you either need to trade his negotiating rights or you get nothing in return. So that's the major glaring mistake in all of this. That could be a great decision. That could be a terrible decision. We're not going to know for a little while. But if they do decide to go down this teardown path, I think there's a lot of reasons why right now works. And the only thing that would have made it better is if you had traded for Forsberg. So I do think that, and we'll explain a little bit more. But that is that would be my argument is that this moment in time with a with a coach who's only been on the team for a couple of years with a lot of young players that have developed that you think could take some roles with some valuable assets that we're going to talk about that you could move a star captain that could stay piece, pieces that are more valuable today than they've ever been before. Like there's a lot of reasons why this moment in time feels right to do this. So, again, we'll get to all those details in a second. But that's my argument, Adam, is that. Outside of the Forsberg mistake, which could be, again, we're not going to know if it's the right decision or not for a while. Outside of that decision, I think everything else is still in place for them to execute the teardown and the rebuild the right way. And we're about to get into what that means. And I think it's important to note, um, even though I just went back and said they should have done this and they should have done that. We're not, as we have this conversation, we're not. We're not going to, I think the term in uh, in movies or in television is retcon, um, which <laughs> is basically to, um, we, we are not going to say, well, you know, if they, we're going to, basically, we're not going to, we're not going to undo any of the decisions that the Predators have already made. Yeah, we can't. Yeah. We, we can't, but... So we are just looking at the roster as is with the contracts that have been signed and the trades that have been made, and we're going from there. So, you know, I know that we love to play that what-if game. I was just doing it three minutes ago, but <laughs> we aren't going to do that in this exercise. We, we are only able to work off the roster as currently constructed, the contracts, the trades, everything. So if you want to – we're not going to say, well, they – you know, they right, shouldn't have traded right. a second round pick for Jeremy Lozon. Well, they shouldn't have, but we can't do anything about it now. So right. we, we can only do we can only function in the present. <laughs> so yes. so it, it's but that that begins and ends with the, 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 the David Poyle role, like whatever the decision is around David Poyle, his own or somebody else's. All of this hinges on him because I do not think you can execute a teardown and a rebuild with David Poyle, not because I don't trust him to do a good job. It's just you need a fresh and, and again, this, this is a good springboard into all of these other quote-unquote rebuilds around the league. Almost every single one of them starts with a new decision-maker at general manager or, or hockey ops. Whoever's the, the final decision-maker 
almost every single one of these, whether it's Edmonton, Buffalo, Arizona, New York, Colorado, Montreal, Chicago, Detroit, Boston, like the, like almost all of them have to start with changing your general manager because you need a new fresh set of eyes and, and, and philosophies and so on and so forth to begin the process. Yes. I think the first step would be to, would be to remove David Poyle from a decision-making role. He could still be a member of the organization. He could still lend an ear or offer advice if you want him to still be a part of the organization. But in terms of the person who is overseeing their actual rebuild and making the decisions, it can't be him. Yeah. That That's so, the first step. So, so when you look around the league, Adam, well, let's start with the good, because obviously, you know, the Colorado Avalanche are, are a premier example of this top top flight draft picks all over the roster took them you know years of being awful now they're they're playing for a championship they've broken through and they've got a chance to win the whole thing right in fact i would i would pick them too (laughs) right um what are some examples like what what are the what's the makeup of a good quality smart rebuild and and i'm assuming there's more than one way to to skin a cat here right yeah and, and you look at we can start with colorado you know because colorado has advanced to the stanley cup final for the first time in 20 years or 21 years, I think it was 2001, right? So it's been it's been two decades since they were last in the Stanley Cup final. And, and we know that there was a period of time not too long ago where this team was really, really, really bad. Um, you know, they, you know, let's see. So yes, they won the Stanley Cup in 2001. They went through a period of missing the postseason six times over seven seasons between 2011 and 2017. And, of course, you know, the thing that has propelled the avalanche to where they are, there have been multiple things, but, you know, where what has really propelled them to where they are is that when they've had these, when they had these terrible seasons, they hit on their draft picks. In 2011, they picked second. They took Gabriel Landeskog. You know, in 2013, they picked number one. They took Nathan McKinnon. Um, in 2015, they had the tenth pick and took Miko Rantanen. Um, you know, it's not that's nice, all. Perfect. That's a nice value. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not all perfect. You know, for example, in 2016, with the tenth pick, they took Tyson Jost, who I believe is no longer a member of the team. I think he was traded to the Minnesota Wild for Nico Sturm um, during the season. Of course, in 2017, they picked fourth and they took Kale McCarr. Um, so, a lot of bad, that's a lot of bad hockey so, to get a lot of good players. So the thing is, yes, but, you know, the one thing that's that we can stress in discussing the Avalanche's rebuild is that when they were bad and they had these top picks, they nailed them, um, yeah. specifically those four. Um, because the Avalanche weren't like, the Avalanche weren't a team necessarily that, you know, quote unquote, blew it up, at least not to my recollection. You know, the one major trade that they just weren't that that good. (laughs) They were, they, yes, they just weren't that good. The one major trade that they made that jumpstarted the rebuild, or at least, you know, accelerated the rebuild was the Matthew Shane trade. In November of 2017, which famously the Predators were 
a part of. And to and you know, and to remember, I just remember you Kyle know, Turris Joe, strikes again. Joe Sackick was taking a lot of shit because he was slow <laughs> playing that trade. You know, clearly Matthew Shane didn't want to be there. You know, it was getting to a point where it seemed like it was having a, a detrimental effect on on team chemistry. But um but Sackick held, you know, held it together and waited for the right move. And I just want to be, you know, I have the trade up right now. As we know, Colorado traded Duchesne to Ottawa. Ottawa traded Turris to Nashville. And out of that trade, you know, the Predators ended up, excuse me, the Avalanche specifically. I mean, they ended up with a lot of things. I think they got like seven total assets in that trade. But the two that are most important, they got Sam Girard from Nashville. And they got a 2019 first-round draft pick from Ottawa, which was the fourth pick. And they took Bowen Byram, who is another young, very yeah. good player for them. That so, is a lot of top 10 picks over a 10-year period, though. Right. Like and that, you can they, really they made the playoffs three times between 2007 and 2017 or 2018. They made the playoffs right. three times you can, in you 11 can, years. You can really, you know, like the one of the issues with, with Boston – you know, the one thing that people keep coming back to, especially over the last couple of days, is in 2015, uh, the Bruins had three consecutive first round picks. They had, I think, the 13th, 14th, and 15th picks in the 2015 draft. Yes, that is correct. In that draft, of those three, they took Jakob Zborl, I think is how I pronounce it, Jake DeBrusk, <laughs> and Zach Seneshin. 13, 14, and 15. DeBrusque is a is an okay player. He's requested a trade from Boston. Who knows if that ends up happening? But think about, you know, it's always fun to look at drafts and say, you know, what could have happened if, you know, uh, you know, like, well, let me well, start. I mean, the, the problem with Boston is that they made the playoffs the entire time. Like, they won a cup, then they got back to the cup. Then they had their bad years and they had those missed draft picks like you're talking about, but they had such a good core that they went on to make the playoffs five straight years after right. that, got back to the Stanley Cup final again. Let me t- let me tell you the three players that were taken directly behind the Bruins' three consecutive first-round draft picks. Matthew Barzell, <laughs> Kyle Connor, and oh Thomas God. Shabbat. Wow, that's, a, that's, that's bad. <laughs> Can you imagine if the Bruins would have ended up with Barzell, Connor, and Shabbat? Man. That would be. There's would your be argument good. for the GM. There's your argument for the GM yeah, change. Right? That would be really something. But when you look at when you look at the Avalanche, so to me, the Avalanche's model was basically patience and 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 having and and hitting on a lot of their top draft picks. And and the thing that the Avalanche also did, you know, they were really smart with the trades they made around those players. You know, they 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 acquired Nazem Kadri. You know, for the trade was Nazem Kadri. This was on July first, twenty nineteen. Nazem Kadri, Cali Rosen, and a third round pick for Tyson Barry with 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 uh, salary retained. Alexander Kerfoot and a sixth round pick. That mm-hmm. trades worked out really, really, really well for the Avalanche. Kemper. Um, and they, you know, they, they, yes, they made that trade. You know, the other one that comes to mind is they fleeced the New York Islanders for Devon Taves. They, they gave up two second round picks uh, for Devon Taves, who is Kale McCarr's primary uh, defense partner. Um, 
Yes, they traded for Kemper. I'm looking for that deal right now. They traded Connor Timmons, who I believe was a, one of their higher draft picks, a 2022 first-round pick and a 2024 third-round pick, both of which were conditional, for Kemper with a million dollars in retained salary. Um, so they were savvy in, in the moves that they made to supplement the core, which was all which was all developed through the draft. So- so to me, this is a good example of the difference between Edmonton and Colorado, because Colorado, because Edmonton ended up with the two transcendent talents with McDavid and Drysidel, yes. but they didn't really do a good job of supplementing those pieces for like years. It's taken them until now, essentially, even though they're already eliminated. But like they went further than we've seen them before, and they played well. Like that, that is, it's taken. I mean, I don't, when was McDavid drafted? Like 2015? Point is, there's, there's, he's a, he's a veteran at this point, and now they're just, they're just now coming out of, and having a hundred and ten point season and finishing, and you know what I mean, like they're just now doing the, the thing, <laughs> and a lot of that's because they did not make those smart moves around the, the star pieces that they did acquire in the draft because they hit on their draft picks too. They just traded Taylor Hall for some strange reason, <laughs> right? They I went traded, back, yeah, they I went traded. back and looked at that deal, and I was like, what were you doing? <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, the. As Bob McKenzie famously said, the trade is one for one, Taylor Hall for Adam Larson. And that was um, overshadowed because on the same day, that's when the Predators traded for P.K. Subban. Um, So, you know, and and yeah, I mean, you look at some of the player, you know, I think the worst example of this, because I know we're kind of bouncing around here, but the worst, you know, when you like when you talk about rebuilding, what's the one thing that anti-rebuilding people have always said? Well, look at Buffalo. You know, <laughs> they they look, Buffalo has royally fucked this thing up, which is why they've missed the postseason what 10 or 11 consecutive years. Um and, and know, in large part because bad decision making. Brad bad Exactly, because what they it. did because what they did was they 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 lost the draft lottery, they tanked for McDavid, they lost the draft lottery, they ended up with Jack Eichel who is a, a great good consolation player. prize. Yes, pretty good consolation prize. I think the problem, and I would have to go back and look at all of these moves. I don't really want to, to be honest with you. It might make me sad. Um, the, you know, the, the, the Sabres were too aggressive in trying to acquire veteran players to surround Jack Eichel to speed up the rebuild. Yep. yep. And, 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 it, and it backfired. Which is, you know, that's why you, that's when you give Jeff Skinner an eight-year contract with a $9 million cap hit. You know, like, yeah, it's bad. that's when, that's when you fall, you know, that's when you, you know, you go out and get Kyle Ocposo or other, other players like that who just don't have, you know, who aren't the right players, you know, to surround your young superstar. So, you know, you know, the Avalanche were patient and it paid off. The, the, the Sabres tried to speed it up and it blew up in their face. Yeah. So I, patience I, I, is key. Patience I, I is incredibly I, important. Yeah, there's no, there's no question about that. And I think that's where I think fans are sort of lying to themselves a little bit about this. Like we're talking about 2025, 2026 at the earliest for all of this to come together. And I think for the Preds, and that's that's the issue here. Because again, even we'll talk about the Rangers here in just a second, but like look at Arizona. They're trying to do it pretty quickly. But how many, like they're not, a, they haven't been good. <laughs> like I mean, the Coyotes not- only made the postseason the year they beat the Predators in the yeah. bubble because of the bubble. They would not have made the postseason. They were the 11th seed in the Western conference. They would not have made uh, the postseason under normal circumstances. And, and look, the, the, the coyotes ha, have largely been irrelevant in the league, 
You know, they, they did make a trade a couple of years ago. Remember, they traded for Taylor Hall. You mentioned Taylor Hall. They traded for, they traded Taylor Hall or traded for Taylor Hall. But the thing that the, the Coyotes are doing, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, to be honest with you, this is sort of unrelated. I, the, the NHL draft is so boring to me. Like the actual <laughs> picking of players, because I don't know any of these players. Like, like yeah. I, I'm a big NBA draft guy because I love college basketball. So I can still know who like the 45th pick in the draft is because I watch college basketball. I don't watch junior hockey and European hockey and all of this stuff. So I don't know who any of these. Well, players right. Are. And and the 45th pick is probably going to be Scotty Pippen Jr. who plays at Vanderbilt, you know? Right. So <laughs> you have. Yeah, so you've got notable guys going late, and if you if you right. watch college basketball like I do, then you know all these guys. Anyway, the like, reason- like asking for patience though is almost insult. Like it's it's all, what it feels like with Arizona is that they have largely been irrelevant for about ten years. That's so a I'm long gonna- time to be irrelevant. Now that I, what I think they've done, they've changed their coach a couple times, but they have done the thing finally this year, which is just wait for the big loaded up draft and get a ton of capital and go for it. They have, and that's one strategy. Seven. They that's have strategy. seven picks. They have seven picks in the first two rounds of the NHL draft this year, including three first round picks from, you know, their own. They have Carolinas and they have Colorado's. Um, So, and then in the second round, they have their own, they have the Islanders, the Flyers and the Sharks, you know, all of which should be on the higher end of the, of the, of the second round because all of those teams missed the playoffs. You know, we're gonna we're gonna touch on this in a minute, but but UC Saros is gonna feature prominently into the teardown if if this is again all hypothetical here. But you have to find a team, sort of like Arizona, that's gonna be really bad but has capital and and but thinks it's gonna be better soon. That's where UC Saros is really valuable for for a lot of reasons. We'll get into that in just a second. The Rangers rebuild is quite interesting. Again, they're as of time of taping, they're they're two two with Tampa, but you know they could easily be in the Stanley Cup final after winning the first two games, they've been very good at home at Madison square garden. You know, they were pretty good for a while, like Oh six to 2017. They're in the playoffs every single year, all but one. They had a pretty good team, pretty good coach, pretty good roster. Went and to then the they Stanley sort of started, Cup final. They went to the Stanley Cup final once. Yep. Lost, lost it in, in 14. LA. And that's the one where the, like they, they were almost more proactive in accelerating the teardown from like a pretty good team where like, this is what Chicago, I feel like this is what Chicago should have done. Like right after they lost to the predators in 17, Chicago should have done what the Rangers did, which is trade off all the pieces, right? Get rid of Taves, get rid of Kane, get rid of Duncan Keith, get rid of, get rid of everybody. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and they've sort of just prolonged it by like adding weird salaries, like Seth Jones and trading for goalies and doing weird things. But the Rangers, a little different approach than Colorado because they were good for a long time. Right. And, to the credit of, I believe, Jeff Gordon was the GM at the time. Uh, he no longer is. He's the president of hockey operations. For the Montreal Canadiens, you know, they recognized that the team had missed its window. You know, they had a chance, as you said, to, to win, you know, multiple times. They went to the Stanley Cup final once. Um, they won the President's Trophy once in 14 conference, conference finals twice, two other yeah. times. So they had, look, that those teams, you know, you know, when I was covering the Capitals, they would play the Rangers basically every season in the playoffs. And, and that was, you, you know, that you had, you know, really good teams with a lot of established veterans, but they realized that they weren't going to go anywhere unless they made a change. And, you know, 
think about the players that they traded. I mean, they traded well-known fan favorites. They tra- This is just traded. They traded Derek Stepan. They traded Matt Zuccarello. They traded Rick Nash. They traded um, Ryan McDonough and JT Miller. You know, they they were proactive. And the thing is, they did, en- they, you know, some of the players they got in exchange for these, you know, for example, you know, in in the 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 McDonough and Ryan Miller trade, they traded both of them to the Tampa Bay Lightning for Vladislav Nemesnikov, Brett Howden, Libor Hychek, a 2018 first round pick, and a conditional 2019 second round pick. Like, and and none of those players really have turned into anything yet for them, and some of them aren't even on the team anymore. Um, but you know. So not everything has been a a, a, a success, but you know it the start, one it started it started with Callahan, right, to the Lightning in fourteen. Like I, I don't know if that counted. I think I you know that that was part of it. I think I, I think the first real move I have to have to see which one came first. But these are when they bought out Dan Girardi or they traded Derek yeah. Stepan, and they traded Derek okay. Stepan in twenty seventeen. Um, with Andy that, that, Okay, that's fair. That's 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 too early to count. I see what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. yeah so, like the Rick Nash trade, like the of, of all of the trades they made, the Rick Nash trade has been the most fruitful for them. So they traded Nash with half of his salary retained, and I believe he was a rental to the Boston Bruins in February of 2018 for Matt Bolesky, who was a throw-in, Ryan Spooner, who then they who they then flipped for Ryan Strom, who's been I think their second line center for the last couple of years, Ryan Lindgren, who's been a, a valuable defenseman. I'm going to, I hope he's a defenseman. I'm pretty sure he's a defenseman. They, and they, and they got a 2018 first round pick from Boston, of course, which they then flipped to, to I think they got, I think they moved four spots up and took Keandre Miller. So they basically got Ryan Strom, Ryan Lindgren and Keandre Miller out of the Rick Nash trade. Yeah. And Rick Nash only, you know, I think he retired after that season. So, so the two big, and again, the Rangers were very, very good for a while, and then four straight seasons of thir- like less than forty wins, basically, and, and not particularly good teams. Also, interesting, Jared Bednar for Colorado took over the year before they started going on the run, which would have been the year they played the Predators in eighteen, and now Gerard Gallant, who probably would be one of the top names I would have suggested outside of John Hines had they made a coaching hire or search, you know, at in the end of the at, at the end of last season, let's say. I think Gallant would have been a name that most people would have asked for pretty pretty heavily here in Nashville. It is interesting to see that they a lot of these teams have to go through a coaching change as well as a GM change right before it becomes valuable, right? Like right before the rebuild is done, Colorado makes the coaching change. Right before like the Rangers make a coaching change. Does that make sense? Like if you're going to go through this god awful stretch of time and for Colorado it was longer and for the Rangers it was a couple years, generally the coach doesn't survive that. No, and I think also to be clear, you know, we just talked about the trades that the uh, that the Rangers made. I think it should also be pointed out that they that they won the draft lottery once in 2020. That's when they took Alexi Lafreniere. I believe it was the year before they moved up several spots to number two and took you know Capo Caco. Neither neither of those players, by the way, at least not yet, have become you know generational you know, building blocks, whatever, whatever term you want to use, but they're both solid players. It also helps that Adam Fox only wanted to play for the Rangers and that Artemi Panarin wanted to play for the Rangers. Like it helps that, I mean, 
you can't yeah, talk about the acceleration of the Rangers rebuild without mentioning the fact that Artemi Panarin is there and Adam Fox is there. I, so so the, the two big takeaways, I agree with that, and that those are extenuating circumstances, but the, the, the two big takeaways are hit on your high-level draft picks from, from Colorado's perspective and be really savvy with moving a lot of your veteran pieces and being okay with moving on to a new wave and a next generation and making trades the way the Rangers have, right? Like that, that's... Yeah. It, like the Rangers are actually very interesting because I find them to be a more of a parallel to the Predators than Colorado because Nashville's been pretty good. They also lot Pecorine also stepped away and retired, and you had Henrik Lundqvist step away and retire very similarly to Pecorine. Right. And then they, and they, they had Justerkin, exactly. Like they, so like the Predators had Saros, exactly. And and that's going to be a part of when we, you know, we're gonna take a break here and we'll come back and we'll give you some of the specific pieces of the things that we think what they should do, but. There's lots to learn from these rebuilds that have gone well. And there are some things that, you know, from a Predators standpoint, like the Rangers are a little bit more closely paralleled to Nashville than Colorado is. But let's imagine, let's say two top five picks in the next four years, four really bad seasons. Could you do the Rangers thing and take the good from the Rangers rebuild and the good from the Avalanche rebuild, package it together and be in 2026, uh, you know, on, on, on a rocket ship to the moon? Like that's possible but it has to be done very, very well and very, very strategically. To which you and I will lay out all those potential strategic decisions and moves when we come back. So you good with that? Sound good? Yes. All right, we'll do that when we come back right here on The Gold Standard. The Gold Standard is a podcast about the Nashville Predators hosted by the Athletics' Adam Vingan. And myself, Braden Gall, uh, at Braden Gall on Twitter. And it is, in fact, brought to you, Adam, by who? It's brought to you by Jaspers. And I, I think I've run out of slogans to steal from other. <laughs> That's not possible. There's like four billion of them out there. Um, there. There's a little more energy in your voice, though, that time. I do appreciate that, as does the sponsor and the client. They like it nobody, when you're excited. Nobody out, nobody out pizzas Jaspers. <laughs> you, you they have do been have doing flatbreads at Jaspers. You have been uh, you've been stretching the limits of uh, of this bit for a long time now. Let me ask you this because we did this on Landstrom Jaspers, Jaspers. <laughs> Jaspers, Jaspers, Jaspers. So we we uh, we did this on uh, Lamestream last week. There there is a, a a fast food menu item. I don't I don't go to fast food restaurants because it's stupid. Um, there is a fast you food don't go menu to any item. Fast food restaurants. No zero. It's not good for you. It's not healthy. It's bad food. It's like, it's not even tasty. Like, I don't even like it. Anyway, there's one fast food item that is like sweeping the nation. And Jasper, like, I I don't understand the fast food thing that ever, like, people get excited about a, you know, a Mexican pizza or, a, a, you know, a rib sandwich that's just a fake, you know, mash. I've never had, I've definitely had the Mexican pizza. I've, so never, had want, so here's my, I've never had a McRib. Here's my point. These things sweep the nation, and it's just you're going to regret it if you go and get these stupid menu items from these silly restaurants. You're going to regret it. If you go to Jasper's, you can get a Mexican street corn flatbread pizza made like fresh right at a at a, a legitimate restaurant, and it's not even that much more expensive, frankly, than going to the fast food place. You're going to get significantly high, higher quality food for a very small uptick in price, and you get a way better experience. I just don't know why we as a country would rather spend like $7 on crap and not like $15 on the exact same thing. That's actually good. I, I don't understand. So go to Jasper's where you can get a Mexican flatbread pizza, Mexican street corn flatbread pizza. Doesn't that sound good? 
I am all about some elote, which yeah, is Mexican corn. So I'm I'm very uh, the I'm little very, goat cheese on top, you know. Yeah, I mean, I I, I have yet to try this flatbread. It's on my to do list. Oh, so um, good. So I uh, I look forward to trying it. Um, did you have you come to a uh, understanding with Steve about the the trapping of the of the air hockey, or is that still a thing? I, he won't. Hockey. He won't. It's still a thing, I guess, with him. He won't acknowledge that it's like every time I mention it, he's like, "Don't do that. Don't talk about that." And I'm like, what? "You're the the wrong person here." Like Steve's right about a lot of things, but not this. You cannot trap the air hockey puck. It's just it's just basic knowledge, and he won't. He just kind of refuses to acknowledge it. He's He's like a politician. He's just not acknowledging that it's a thing. <laughs> so I don't know. I guess it's still ongoing. I guess it's still ongoing. Anyway, great flatbreads, great shareable items. Happy hour. The game room with the air hockey table is spectacular. By the way, keep your drinks off that thing. And if you see anybody putting their drinks on it, go handle their business for them. Just, just take the drink and like chug it and then see what they do. Um, although we're not condoning violence here on the show. Go to Jasper's. The parking is free. The food is great. It's a great place to go. Go to Jasper's. All right, so let's get into what an actual teardown physically would look like for the Nashville Predators, Adam. And I, I, to me, we've already talked about it could result in a coaching change. If you've got to have three or four bad years of hockey here, get a couple of top picks by just being awful, right? That's the first thing you can do is be awful and collect high-level draft picks for yourself at zero cost other than, you know, playing awful hockey. <laughs> so so that's that sort of seems to be baked into to a rebuild no matter what and a teardown no matter what. It probably means changing GM and changing coach. Probably. To me, part of the reason that this is such an ideal time for the Predators to do this is because of their goaltending situation. They already have the answer. They have, in fact, I think they have two answers, which is UC Saros is affordable, young, and very good. <laughs> and and to me, extremely attractive in the trade market. I would demand a high-level prospect and a first-round pick, if not both. But you also have the replacement in the short term in Connor Ingram and in the long term with Askarov. So I, I, to me, th- this is one of the few things that I point at that, that really works in favor for the Predators doing the teardown, which is go out and get a first round pick and an elite prospect for, for UC Saros and, and know that your goaltending situation is still already solved in the future. I think that's a really intriguing angle to all of this. So, I mean, certainly... Soros has, would have, you know, I would, I was going to say enormous value. I, I, you know, maybe I'm stretching it there, but he certainly is among the, the established players on your roster, you know, perhaps the most um, attractive piece. I think the first thing that's important to do, and I can just basically run down the cap friendly page and you can tell me yes or no, is determine, is to determine which players, if any, are quote-unquote untouchable. Which players you believe are the ones that cannot be moved under any circumstances because they represent, you know, the, the future. future building blocks. Yeah, well, okay. let's just, I'm going to do that. Let's focus on Saros here for a second. Like, All right. Stay, stay with, is he, so not signing, I should I should step back. Not signing Forsberg is actually the first step, right? Or trade his, trade his rights, I guess. But Try even then, his, you're, you're, you're not really getting that much. Exactly. You're getting maybe a third round pick or something, but whatever, that, 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 you have to divorce yourself from Philip Forsberg and, and sort of swallow the fact that you didn't trade him for more at the deadline. 
like you said earlier in the show, we have to function and operate like we like like the organization is today. So that's the first step. Second step to me is moving Soros. He is the top priority if you are tearing down the club because he gets you the most in return and you have the Am I wrong to think that that's not right? Like that that you already have the answer. You don't need to go out and find a goalie prospect. Like to me Soros is clear cut the number one first priority. Right. And and then you're you know, then you're riding with Connor Ingram and you know, league minimum veteran backup goaltender here, you know, insert veteran league minimum backup goaltender here. But like, I don't think, but I don't okay think with them being bad. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. I, I'm just saying that I'm just saying that like, we're not, we're not hot shotting Yaroslav Askarov to the NHL. I still no, think no, 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 that no. buffer, you know, so it's like, it's Connor Ingram and Brian Elliott or, <laughs> Curtis McElhinney, I think he might have retired, actually. I don't know. Like, you know, again, Louis, De- is- Louis Domingue. Like, it's, it's yeah, yeah. you know, you're clearly, you're, you know, goaltending is going to be a weakness for sure. But then again, you're trying to be bad. Well, And this is what I love about this. And again, I can't, am I saying his name wrong? As, ask, I say Askarov, is it Askarov? I believe, I believe. Okay. <laughs> I need to send you the clip of Corey Curtis attempting to say Yaroslav. <laughs> of on the news it was you know Corey is a professional newsman but it was not his finest hour um the it, i believe it's a scar of like Askarov. i think the, okay. i think the emphasis is on the second syllable all right but the, the point is is that he could come up the last year of let's say it's a four-year stretch of garbage that gives you four really good draft picks starting this year immediately that's the other thing we need to stress if you're going to do it you need to do it wholesale all the way like right away right like you you can't wait you can't like half-ass it you need to cut you need to try to trade every single piece you can that's and we'll get to who's untouchable but trade all the pieces that are quote-unquote you know eligible for this type of thing clear out salary and be bad and then what you want is Askarov to come in and be the starter like in year four of the bad hockey so that he gets a year under his belt and then all the young talent is in the lineup by like that year five like four or five Mm -hmm. And and that's what to me that's what makes this intriguing. If you're going to go down this path, the goaltending situation with a generational talent, the best goalie prospect in the world, who's probably not going to be ready for two years at least, this provides a perfect window for that goaltender situation to work itself out. And oh, by the way, the guy you have might be able to give you the most in return of any other player on the team. So that would be my primary argument for why you'd tear down right now is actually UC Saros and Askarov in the system. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think you are dealing from a position of strength there, for sure. Um, So, you know, I think that would be, that would probably be high on my priority list, too. Okay. Um, Number two on my list would be Matthias Ekholm. Okay. I, I still think he provides some value. He clears a lot of cap space. He's still under contract. He's still good. I know he's coming off not one of his better years, but I think he's got, he's a proven commodity. I think he is a top four defenseman still and would get you top four defenseman return in a trade. To me, Ekholm is number two on the list behind Saros. Do you, do you have another player you would put ahead of Ekholm in terms of moves you would make first? Um, it's a good question. Um, so Ekholm also, you know, as you said, it, it would clear a lot of cap space, 6.25 for the next four years. Um, remember what the rumor mill was telling us a couple of seasons ago when Ekholm was not under contract and the team was struggling. 
you know, the athletics uh, trade deadline big board. Ekholm was number one for a lot for a lot of you know it, we've done we did multiple versions and he was number one in multiple versions of that of that uh, of that big board. Although David Poyle disputed the fact that he ever was really uh, you know interested in, in moving Matias Ekholm, but that's yeah, but not even, answering like, the, not answering the phone call is is um, insubordination basically. <laughs> so you know the other thing you do have cost certainty. You know, he signed, and by the time his contract expires, he'll be in his late later 30s. So, you know, you don't necessarily have to worry about re-signing him. So you still have him. You have him under contract at a reasonable number for, you know, the remainder of his prime years or the as he as he leaves his prime. Um, you know, for me, I, you know, I think what I would do, I don't think, I think what I would do is I would try to capitalize on Matthew Shane's career season. Um, and it would require, it would require the predators to retain salary, which they've never done. But if you are trading a player with four years left on his contract, who just scored 40 plus goals and had 80 plus points and you're trading in the acquiring team is getting him for four more years at $4 million per season, that's going to uh, probably uh, lead to some significant assets. The other thing that works in the Predators' favor here is that this coming season is the last season in which Matt Duchesne does not have any sort of trade protection. He has a modified no-trade clause. I think people often conflate that with a no-movement clause like the one that Roman Yossi has. That's far from it. According to uh, Cap Friendly, who cites Pierre Lebrun, uh, the player submits a seven-team no-trade list, which means he can he can submit seven teams that he would not accept a trade to. Um, and usually, now does he have to do that at the time of the contract or at the time of the negotiation? No, it's interesting. Um, I think it would be stupid know, there, to do that at the time of the contract. Happened, it feels like this happened. You know, famously happened during the season with Evgeny Dodonov. Remember, he was traded from Vegas to Anaheim. And then it was determined that Dodonov was not was uh, excuse me that Anaheim was on Dodonov's no trade list, and they had to avoid the trade. I, I you know it's a good question because I think the list can change. It's not like once you sign the contract, here's right. the seven teams, and because these that would be that would right. be illogical. <laughs> well, I think I think there's usually a deadline every league year where the player has to submit the list. So, but this this coming season there is no list. It doesn't start until next year. So, you know, if you're if you're going to move on Matthew Shane, you have to do it now because you are un, completely unlimited in terms of which team you can move him to. He does not have a say in the matter. Well, and so, and I and I would say this this goes into the Johansson conversation as well. If you are moving Ekholm and Saros, that's off the top of my head about eleven million dollars in cap space off the books. Eleven point two five. The the entire point of this exercise is to probably eat as much salary as you can to be bad to then collect assets. So if that means trading Johansson and eating four million a year, trading Duchesne and eating three or four million a year, like that's what you're trying to do here. So I, th- those are the next two names on my list. Like I would go Saros one Ekholm two, because I think you could just trade them straight up and get good value. I think the other two, to your point, you can, you have to eat some of the salary, but I still think, I think you're absolutely right. Like <laughs> if you told me I could get Matt Duchesne, like, I, I don't know, pick a team that, that needs a, a scoring 
versatile center winger. Like if you told the Rangers, you're going to get Matt Duchesne at 5 million a year for four years, and we're going to eat 3 million a year. Like, wouldn't you do that? I I don't like you're in a win now situation. Like that's, I I think there's a lot of value there for Duchesne, especially if you're willing to eat the, eat the salary. So Duchesne and Johansson would be my next two. So those would be my first four. And to your point, I don't know if you get a whole lot in return for Johansson. Yeah, you know Ryan had a had a really good season, and it went um, it went largely unnoticed because of you know everything else that was going on. Um, so, um, you know, but at the end of the day, he's played know, five years of his new contract. Can you believe that? You know, it is pretty crazy. You know that it's been that long already. Um, but you know the you know the Predators are. The Predators are in a, um, you know, it, they are getting out of some of these larger deals. I mean, Duchesne's got four years left. Like, just looking at cap friendly, Duchesne's got four years left. Johansson has four years left. God, Colton Sissons has four years left. That That's not a big a deal, weird, though. It's such a That's weird contract. Well, weird if he's contract. if he's going to play between uh, Yakov Trenin and Tanner Janot for the next four years, I'm fine with it. So, um, no, that's not a knock on Colton Sissons at all. It's just, you know, very rarely. I remember looking this. I remember looking this up when he signed that contract. I wanted to look at contracts, like active contracts, that were at least six years in length with cap hits of th- under three million dollars. Because very rarely do you sign a player to a long term deal with a low cap hit. There were only two: Colton Sissons and Cali Yarncroke. I thought that was. I thought that was funny since the same person signed those contracts. <laughs> um, so or so. So the, of those top yeah, four. Yeah, think, so let's say let's say you're able to move those top four. Soros, and who knows what you get back? Varying degrees of success, probably in those, and you probably have to eat some salary on both Johansson and Duchesne. But let's say you do that. Who else is mm-hmm. like? Wh- let's let's touch on Roman Yossi here because he's got full, complete no trade movement coverage or whatever. So really, you're probably not going to trade him. My question, let's say, let's remove the no trade thing. And let's say Roman Yossi says, yeah, I'll do whatever you want, David Poyle. Let's just be hypothetical here for a second. Do Would you even want to do that? Do you want him to be at his age on the books at that price? Do you need the captain to sort of usher the the new wave, the rebuild, the, do, the teardown you need, you need, or not? You need strong, you need veteran leadership during these times because you can't field an AHL team in the NHL. So you so you do need some well established. If you're trading at home and you're trading Duchesne and Johansson, you know you you need Yossi. You need you probably need Mikhail Granlund. You know you need you need those older established players. You you know you can't have your you know your veteran presence be Colton Sissons. With all due respect to Colton Sissons, but you know he doesn't have the same level of was it gravitas as as Roman Yossi and Mikhail yeah, Grandin. Yeah. So I, I just I, I but, would not I would not include if you're trading Duchesne and Johansson, I would and Ekholm, I would not include Yossi and I would not include Grandland. I would keep both of them. Ooh, okay. And so Grandland then is basically worthless for three more years because <laughs> you're playing on a bad team. I mean you uh, could, the, the key with Yossi is the key with Yossi is that he could be your captain once you are good again. You see what I'm saying? Like that's right, and like you just, but you know, I think I have to go back and look. But you, if you look at re, if you look at rebuilds, I mean, like who was like when you look at the players who, if you look at the team, the Rangers team that lost in the Stanley Cup final to the Kings, I think the only player left from that team is Chris Kreider. Like you need someone like that. Yeah. Yeah. You probably need more than one person like that. So 
I, I think if you are if you are trading Ekholm, Duchesne, and Johansson, and you're not bringing back Forsberg, you need Yossi and you need Granlund. They need to be your leaders. So yeah, and I'm okay and with I that. Think both okay of them. That. I think both of them. You know, set a clear, a good example. I think they're the types of players that you would want your younger players to emulate on both. You know, both at forward and on defense. So and then, I and then go- Granlin and then Granlin walks away when, right when you get good. <laughs> But then you have hopefully a center who's younger, no, who's, who's good. Th- yeah, this is this is the whole point. You have to remember, like through this four year process, you're drafting your own draft picks, which hopefully are very high. You've now acquired draft picks, hopefully for UC Saros, Matt Duchesne, and Matias Ekholm. Like the idea is, is and you you have to have young talent develop, and we're going to get to some of those guys who are sort of quote unquote untouchable in this process. But but you you need to have the young talent develop. But the key is you're filling like. Top line center, top line winger, second line center, second line winger, number one defenseman next to Yossi. Like all those need to be filled with future star assets. That that right. is and I think, that's the whole I point. Think, right. And I think you, you know, I mean, you you give a higher you give a higher, you know, role to Philip Tomasino. Um, you you give a higher role to Alex Carrier, you know, you probably give a higher role to pretzel who's barking during our conversation <laughs> well um, th- now you're getting into the untouchable list which to me is you know c- probably carrier and fabro unless you think you can replace them quickly it's definitely thank you pretzel it's definitely thomasino and Jano, those two for sure i you know i, I think you might include tolvanen and trennan because they're so young and so cheap and so and they have so much ups- upside still oh my right? god pretzel Hey, listen, he's very worked up about this. He's very. Yes, I'm up. hoping that he doesn't stay worked up about it for the rest of the show because I can't go down there and, and stop him because I'm home alone right now. Um, hold on. How's the child doing? He's not barking. I'll tell you that. Yeah, that um, now that now that um, pretzels calmed down, um, I, I think Th- Tomasino, Janot, I think Tolvanen, Trennan, Carrier, Fabro, like that six or seven players with upside that are still very, very young and, you know, affordable, younger, cheaper, better, right. Is the whole goal. Like I, I would keep anybody that falls into the younger, cheaper, better category. That That's basically where, where I'm at. And I don't know if that includes Luke Cunning or Yakov Trenin or Cody glass. It might. Um, but those are young, affordable, talented pieces with a little bit of upside. And you kind of see, I don't expect all of them to hit quote unquote, but I think a bunch of them can still be the, the, the core of the team through this rebuild that is a part of the upside, right? Like you, you need all those guys to develop, which is why John Hines might be the right guy for the job right now. Yeah. Um, and then you've got some of the, you know, some of the, the other young players in the system who you can give a, a look to, whether it's Igor Afanasyev or Luke Evangelista or L- uh, LaRue, Zachary LaRue. Or Yuso Parsonin, like you've got younger players that can that can fill you know the 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 roles that we've seen players like Matthew Olivier and yeah yeah you know Yakov Trenin and and, and and players like that have filled you know, over the past couple of years. So you know for me you know the if there's if there is an un, you know for me untouchable wise you know if you're doing a full scale rebuild it's it's Roman Yossi it's Mikhail Granlund it's um, Philip Tomasino, it's Tanner Janot. I mean, it's probably Sidzins and Trennan if you're going to want to keep that line together or at least have them all on the team. Um, 
but in Tolvin, terms of Tolvanen's a Tolvanen's I think he's getting a bad rap right now. I think he still has lots of upside. You know, I'm starting to I'm starting to get to a point where I I really am wondering, you know, you know what Tolvanen's ceiling is. You know, Tolvanen like if Tolvanen is going to be a 15 goal player in the NHL, I mean, there I mean, they're not to say there's not value in that, but it's not what you were hoping for. When, when you I, I think he could be. I still think he could be a twenty twenty five goal scorer on a second line wing. I still think that's absolutely what he could be. Like, why, why could he not? What it, it takes time for Kevin Fiala to turn into a scorer. You know what I mean? Like, it takes time for Ryan Hartman to develop into the scorer that he became. It, it, like, it just takes a little bit of time, and I think he's got all the other pieces. I think he'll put it together. I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one who's like still bullish on Ellie Tolvanen. <laughs> I I'm not. I'm. I haven't given up on him, but. I'm I'm I feel like next season is sort of put up or shut up time for LA Tolvin. Okay. Who who else how do you feel about Carrier and Fabro? Because I think there's they may not be as good as even I thought they were going to be at the beginning of the year even though Fabro had a slightly better season than expected. I I think they're a good kind of second tier defense collection of defensemen. I'm not saying they should be a pairing, but I just mean second tier guys. I still think you need to find through this process whether it's draft picks or trading I still think you need to find another top flight number one D man in this group. Yeah. You know, and, and there isn't necessarily one on the way, you know, it's not like right. when you, you know, when you had Yossi coming up and Ekholm coming up and Ellis coming up, you know, you don't, you don't, you know, Shea Weber, you don't have that right now. Um, you know, you look at the, you look at the defensemen that are in Milwaukee, whether it's someone like Jeremy Davies or David Ference or, you know, they're, they're fine, you know, but they're not the next, you know. No, they, they are the pieces the that play minutes on bad teams so that you can get to Kale McCarr. Yes. That's, that's what they're for. I would like to look at, while I'm, while I'm on hockey reference, I'm going to look up the roster for the really bad avalanche team. I'm just, I'm very curious to see what, what players they trotted out there. So that was the year where they went, Oh, to get to actually draft Makar in 17 or whatever? They went in 2016-17 when they went 22-56 and 4. <laughs> okay? I, I want to look at the stats for that team. I want to see who the, the key contributors were. Um, interesting. So Nathan McKinnon led the team with 53 points. at You know, he's age, age 21, Nathan McKinnon. Had 16 goals, 37 assists, 53 points. Matt Duchesne at 26. Had 41 points in 77 games. Miko Rantanen at age 20 had 38 points. Tyson Barry was 25. He had 38 points. Gabe Landeskog was had 33 points. <laughs> then you've got Miguel, Mikhail Gregori, you know, Greg, you know, Gregorenko, Mikhail Gregorenko. There you go. Very easy you know. for you to say. Yeah, they had Blake Como. They had Rene Bork. They had Jerome McGinley for a spell. Man, this team was bad. Like. Yeah, so your top you had you had five players who broke thirty points. You had McKinnon mm. at fifty three, Duchesne at forty one, Ranton at thirty eight, Barry at thirty eight, and Landis Cog at thirty three. But then it was Gregorinko played seventy five games, Blake Como played seventy seven yeah, games, yeah. Francois Beauchemin played eighty one games, man. <laughs> Carl Soderberg played eighty games. Like man, this team sucked. Th- th- this this everywhere. goes this goes right back to last week. I'd, I'm calling bullshit on fans, 62% of you that say you are willing and to support financially and with your time 
an organization that is that to to tear it all down to get number one overall type of picks. Let's just call them top five picks. To get multiple top five picks, you are going to have to be very very bad. And I just don't think fans understand how hard that is to root for for four straight seasons. Let's say maybe at minimum, maybe three at minimum, five or six or seven at maximum. Right? It could go longer than you think. And so it, it's it's a risky move, and it's. Again, you have to have all these like we can we can wrap up the conversation here, which unless you've got other individual players you think are of value that the Preds should either move or keep. Um, you have to be very bad at hockey and get high draft picks. You have to change your leadership in the front office and maybe even the head coach. You have to develop the young talent extremely well over the next three or four years, and you got to trade a lot of veterans for future assets and then do the, the right thing with those assets in the future. And it's, it's I will not leave, a- I will I will leave it with one question that's completely unrelated to everything we've talked about, but I'd be curious for your opinion. <laughs> okay. If Philip Forsberg does not re-sign with the Predators, should they go after David Pasternak? Um, I don't I, I don't know how well he would fit in the John Hines system. I'm not a smart enough hockey mind to know if like his skill set meshes well with. Heinz's With a player like Kostrinok, though, I feel like the, I mean, he's a step mesh, up from Forsberg, right? The meshing thing is less important when you have a guy who scores at the rate that he. Yeah, does. I think. I mean, he's an he's a he's an upgrade over Forsberg, right? In yes, he's also he's two years younger than Forsberg. He just turned twenty six. Forsberg's going to be twenty eight when the season starts. So you've, you you're getting a younger player. The problem is, you know, this is the last year of his current contract, and he's. <laughs> more than what Forsberg is going to make. That that doesn't no. feel, to me, I think this is the more appropriate question. If you cannot re- re-sign Philip Forsberg, do you tear the whole thing down? That's, I, I think that's the yes, most important thing. I question. would, but David Poyle clearly isn't. And that's why yeah, that's yeah. why the Pasternak conversation is interesting. I mean, who knows if Pasternak's really on the move. Our, you know, our Bruins writer, Fluto Shinzawa, you know, has suggested that, you know, perhaps Pasternak doesn't want to stick around for, you know, some lean years. The Predators, you know, the Predators, as we talked about at the beginning of the show, unlike the Bruins, are maybe a bit delusional when it comes to whether they can be, <laughs> whether they can be competitive. Um, and if they're, if they're dead set on staying competitive, you know, replacing, you know, replacing Philip Forsberg with David Pasternak would be an upgrade. Now yes, it would, yes. it would cost you down the line in terms of the assets you would have to give up to get them. But it might be something worth exploring. Just for, you know, it's the off season. Who gives a shit? Like, yeah, no, no, I, but it, it does. Maybe the problem is, is, it doesn't. I think the issue is, is that you still need another piece, right? Like that's the issue. Even if you sign Forsberg and you bring him back, you still have to go out and get another piece. And so while Pasternak is an upgrade on Forsberg, I agree with you. It, it's going to cost you more, both in terms of future salary, but also acquisition costs. But then at the same time, I still don't think that's enough. I still think you need another piece. And I don't know if you've got enough assets to, to acquire another piece. I mean, unless no. Luke Cunning's going to be a superstar, like, which neither well, you one look of at the, you know, you look picture. at, you, you know, you look, it's the player, players like this don't, you know, come up, you know, on the rumor mill very often, yeah. you know? So, you know, it, it's a good off season discussion to have the other wrinkle in this, which I find hilarious is that uh, David Pasternak and Philip Forsberg are represented by the same agent. So if if Forsberg leaves, do you think JP Barry is going to want to play ball with the Predators about David yeah. Bosnock? I maybe I, I highly doubt that. I, I think I think I think good, smart, shrewd people can separate everything and compartmentalize when they have to. 
I, I can't imagine David Poyle doing anything like offensive to Philip Forsberg. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think there's there's no bad blood there. Um, all right. Well, that about does it for us. Uh, if you've got ideas on which pieces you would want to trade, which pieces you would get, you know, keep non-negotiables, you know, those kinds of things, you know, your your blueprint for the for the teardown, please don't hesitate. Shoot us over to us on the Twitters there at at Gall, at Adam Vingan, theathletic.com, of course. Make sure you're swinging by Jasper's. A great place to, to watch any game. Great place to take the, the family. Great take, place to take the kids. Great place to go with your buddies. You know, after work, lunchtime, doesn't matter. Watch a game. It's a great place. You won't pay for parking. And you're going to get great, great food um, that won't destroy your intestines like fast food will. So go go check out uh, Jasper's uh, over on West End. For Adam Vingan, my name is Braden Gold. Thanks for hanging out with us. Rate, review, subscribe, share the show. Tell everybody about it. This has been the gold standard here on the Four Sports Network.